Please open to Romans chapter 8. And we're looking at the 28th verse, very familiar verse. But there is something that I want to bring out to you as I believe the Lord has helped me to understand. Romans 8, 28. Now we're pulling this out of a whole long train of thought that he has here. But it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I'm going to read it one more time. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, or excuse me, work uh, together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We're going to start with a question. Is God in everything? Is he in everything that happens to you and I? It's easy for us to say, well, God was in that. There's some encouraging moment that takes place. But what about those moments that don't seem so encouraging? Is God in that? Is God there? Has God done this? What is going on? That's the question we want to ask. This is uh, Hannah Whittall Smith. She was talking with a particular lady. Actually, she wasn't talking with a lady. She was praying. She was at a meeting and a lady stood up and said this. And she said, I believe that was a word from God straight to my own heart. Though that lady wasn't addressing it to her. She was just testifying of something that the Lord was helping her with. And so Hannah Whittall Smith says this. I learned this lesson practically and experimentally long years before I knew the scriptural truth concerning it, that God is in everything. I was attending a prayer meeting when a strange lady rose to speak and I looked at her wondering who she could be, little thinking she was to bring a message to my soul, which would teach me a grand practical lesson. She said she had great difficulty in living the life of faith on account of the second causes that seemed to her to control nearly everything that concerned her. Her perplexity became so great that at last she began to, to ask God to teach her the truth about it, whether he really was in everything or not. After praying this for a few days, she had what she described as a vision. She thought she was in a perfectly dark place and that there advanced toward her from a distance a body of light which gradually surrounded and enveloped her and everything around her. As it approached, a voice seemed to say, this is the presence of God. This is the presence of God. While surrounded with this presence, all the great and awful things in life seemed to pass before her, fighting armies, wicked men, raging beasts, storms and pestilences, sin and suffering of every kind. She shrank back at first in terror, but she, she soon saw that the presence of God so surrounded and enveloped herself in each one of these things uh, that not a lion could reach out its paw, nor a bullet fly through the air, except as the presence of God moved out of the way to permit it. And she saw that if there were ever so thin a film, as it were, of this glorious presence between herself and the most terrible violence, not a hair of her head could be ruffled, nor anything touch her, except as the presence divided to let the evil through. Then all the small and annoying things of life passed before her, and equally, she saw that there were also, or that she also was so enveloped in this presence of God, that not a cross look, nor a harsh word, nor a petty trial of any kind could affect her unless God's encircling presence moved out of the way 
to let it. This lady's difficulty vanished. Her question was forever answered. God was in everything. And to her henceforth, from that day forward, there was no second causes. She saw that her life came to her day by day and hour by hour directly from the hand of God. Let the agencies which should seem to control it be what they might. And never again had she found any difficulty in an abiding consent to his will and an unwavering trust in his care. That sounds nice. But the practical application of that at times can be hard. Very difficult, right? So it's easy and somewhat human for you and I to be driven by results. Well, what's going to happen? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but that is not the answer. That can be an answer, but it's not the answer. And we need to realize that God is looking for results. But what God is looking for is the highest results. Always he's looking for the highest results. And that doesn't always match up to what you and I think they might be. He's looking for the highest results in a nation. He's looking for the highest results in a community, in a church, and in an individual. And God, in all perfection, can work through what to you and I seems overwhelming. How can he, how can he get the highest good out of all of that? I don't know. That's why I worship him. <laughs> I don't know, but that's why we bow at his feet, because he can do that, even though I don't understand. And he does it in my life, even though I don't understand. Adam Clark said of this verse in Romans 8, 28, it is not said that all things shall work for good, but that, and he then cites what the original Greek word is, but that they work now in the behalf of him who loveth now. For both of those two Greek words were in the present tense. All things work together now for the good of those that love God now. So that tells us of an abiding trust and an abiding walk with God. He said, all things work for good right now for all those that love right now. All these things work together while they are working. God's providence is working. His spirit is working and they're working together with him. And whatever troubles or afflictions or persecutions may arise, God presses them into their service and they make a part of the general working and are caused to contribute to the general good of the person who right now loves God and who is working by faith and love under the influence and operation of the Holy Ghost right now. That's the application of that verse, perhaps in a nutshell. So I would say the main thought of the, this verse and the main thought that I'd like to give you this morning is this. God's processes are his purposes. God's processes are his purposes. In other words, it's not always the end that he's trying to get us to. He is so concerned about how. He's so concerned about the process and oftentimes more so about this than what happens at the end. Because the end God could do in a second. He could speak a word and it could be done. But he's working through you and I so he's very concerned with the process. That's just as important to him. So when we start in this verse and look at all things work together, a few interesting thoughts. All means all, right? That means anything and everything that could possibly come to you and I, all 
Whether they be huge trials, whether they be the daily annoyances of life, there isn't anything that is not contained inside of that word all. But there's something very interesting because the word that was translated working together, all things work together, the word that's translated that way in this particular scripture is a Greek word where we get the word synergistic. So all things work together synergistically. That brings in a pretty awesome picture all of a sudden, doesn't it? I think about it this way. I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with this stuff since I had Lyme disease and they told me I was a nutcase and that I couldn't get any more help from them. Uh, I had to go figure out how to do things myself because I couldn't get help. So I was looking about certain herbs, certain other protocols, whatever, how to eat everything. I was looking at all of it. How do I get better then? If they're not going to help me, how do I do this? Oftentimes in reading and going through things and studying about that, what had come up so often was this particular herb or this particular supplement is very good. But if you take it with this or something else, the effects of it is far greater and exponentially better than it would have been if you, take, if you had just taken it by itself. And they would say synergistically, it's good. Even with holistic like herbal things, they would want you to take not just one, but more than one because there's different constituents in each one of these herbs that fill in the gaps that the other one doesn't have and ultimately makes a better outcome. And you could probably think of that with almost anything in life. If you only ate bananas all your life, you're probably going to be lopsided in your nutrition, even though they taste awesome. And that could be an opinion. I think bananas are good. But if you ate bananas all the time and nothing else, you might be deficient in something, right? So that's why you're always told, eat a well-rounded diet. Eat a bunch of different things because you get a bunch of different things from it. And so we're told all things work together. All things are in this perfect synergy. That's what God's looking on this whole thing is. It's working synergistically. It's all perfectly intertwined together. That's hard for you and me to swallow, but that's what the Bible says. These things are synergistically working together. Why? For good. That's hard to see sometimes. I, I know that because I've been used to taking certain things for the Lyme disease that tastes like dirt. So if something happens with my wife, I'm like, hey, I've got some of this, this, and this. You should take this. And she said, does it taste good? I said, absolutely not. It tastes terrible. She said, well, why? I don't want to take it. And I said, well, you're either going to take it and feel better or you're not going to take it. So you got you to the battles between tasting and effectiveness, okay? <laughs> we got to figure this out. And sometimes the things that don't taste so good are the most helpful. I think I've said that a few times, at least from up here. But it's the same spiritually speaking. Not everything that's the most helpful is always so sweet. Oftentimes, you grow far more during the bitter times, during the hard times, than you did when everything was sweet. It's the same thing nutritionally. When you eat bitter things, it starts a process in your body where your liver starts then dumping out these the bile and chemicals for digestion within there, and it actually helps you assimilate the rest of your food. There's cultures where they would eat bitter herb before they would even sit down for their meal for that very reason. There's a purpose for it. It all works synergistically for this reason, for good. Oh, Lord, why is this happening right now? Remember, son or daughter, this is for good. It's for good. That's hard. You and I have got to stake our faith on what he says, not what it feels like, because sometimes it doesn't feel so good. 
But he says, this is all working together synergistically for good. Does that mean for everybody? I've heard sometimes, I, Brother Matt was talking about going inside of a jail. Oftentimes you, you hear a lot of terrible stories in there. Sob stories of all what's happened. And I'm not saying this is with everybody, but you oftentimes hear how it's everyone else's fault and I shouldn't be in here. And they tell you all this, right? And then sometimes there might be some, some catchy phrase that comes up, something like, well, it's all, it's, it was all supposed to happen. It's all gonna be better. You know, it's, it, this, this'll, this'll be for good somehow. But is that what the scriptures teach us? We find also when we talk with other people, they say, well, this must be bad happening to me and, and God's gonna help. We have to, as Christians, first of all, find out, Lord, if I stepped out of bounds anywhere, because if I have, sometimes the bad things that are happening to me are my own fault. We don't need to gravel, and, uh, grovel around there and, oh, no, it's all my fault. Just get it taken care of and move on. If we're not aware that it's our own fault that's put us in this position, then we've got another place to look right here. So God's not going to work all things for good necessarily when it's your own fault and you could stop it. Now, there are effects of things that we've done in the past that we're not doing anymore, and he can work those things together for good. But if I'm presently stepping outside of his bounds and trying to claim this, it's not going to work right. We'll find that even inwardly, it doesn't seem right. It's like, I can't really latch on to that. That doesn't make any sense. But he said, it's for good to them that love God. What does the Bible say about loving God? Who loves God? If ye love me, keep my commandments, right? Somebody that loves God keeps God's commandments and they're not grievous to him. It's their meat and bread. They love God. I want to walk with God. It's not like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm a Christian. It's like, I don't want to do it anymore. He's changed my heart and life. I love him and I desire him and I want to walk with him. So when it says all things work together now, synergistically for good to them that love God right now. That's, that's a wonderful promise to somebody who's going through some trials that really loves God according to the scriptures. And it says it's for them who are the called. Called, what does that mean? There's a lot of funny ideas about what called means in the evangelical spectrum. But simply this, those that are called are the people that are invited to the covenant. Those that are the called are the people that have taken the invitation, have stepped in under the covenant of Jesus Christ through his blood, and they are now partakers of the covenant and are termed what are called with the Bible terms as saints. Those that were even in Corinth were dubbed saints, the ones that were saved. So literally, the people who are saved are the called. That's what we're looking at here. So all things work together right now for the good of them that love God right now who are called or who are saved. Now that starts to put it in a very clear picture for us, doesn't it? Now we can start to really grab hold of this. It doesn't seem like some nice little thing way out there I can't grab onto. Now I can get this. And why are we called? According to his purpose. That's what the English says here, according to his purpose. This Greek word that's translated purpose, though, literally means according for his setting forth. The, the thought behind this is, and they use these words, it's actually, the Greek, the Greek word is where we get the word, uh, I'm going to get this a little funny maybe, prothesis. That's the uh, Greek Orthodox churches say the, the, the prothesis is when they set out the elements for communion on the table. They put the bread, they set, the, they set forth the bread before God himself and before the people. 
So here we're said that we're called according to his purpose. We are set forth for his purpose. We're presented before the holy presence of God. That's what these trials and everything working together for good is. It's not necessarily, this is for God's purpose because he's got a work for me to do. His purpose is that every single one of us will be saved, that will walk with God all throughout this life, and we'll make it onto heaven's shores one day and stand before him. The purpose of all this stuff is so that I can stand before God, changed, without shame, made like his son. That's what is being talked about here in these particular verses. And if you go back in Romans, the whole context supports it because he's talking about people that were dwelling in sin, those that knew the law, how they needed a savior, those that didn't know the law, how they needed a savior. It walks through Romans chapter seven about the person who's back and forth and says, you're gonna get out of this by faith in Christ. And then it goes on, no condemnation to those that walk in Jesus Christ in the, in the first verse of chapter eight and talking about now that you are sons and daughters of God, you walk with God. You're led by the Spirit of God, right? Now, you can see that when it comes into this end of the chapter, even that purpose comes through in context as well as right in this verse. The purpose is to set us before him, being like his son, that all this that's happened back here has so transformed and changed us so that we can be set forth like the showbread in front of, in front of God the Father in the last day. We are invited to stand before his presence with confidence. We are invited to stand before his presence without shame. So I would paraphrase things like this. <clears throat> All things that happen to those that presently and continually love God and are invited or saved synergistically work together for our highest good for the purpose of setting us forth before him, his literal presence, both now and ultimately in that last day with great confidence. That's why all these things come against us perhaps in life. It is all working together for that purpose, that I can walk in his presence right now and that I can be in his presence forever and ever, be set forth right there before him. There are some examples that we find in the scripture. If we think, okay, this is just an isolated text, there are some examples in scripture that help us understand the same concept. Remember the concept is God's processes are his purposes. How to get there is very important to God. So now we look at King David. King David was anointed to be king because Saul forfeited that call from disobedience to God. So Samuel had listened to God, went to go find Jesse and his sons, went through all the line of them. They all looked like strapping young lads and Lord said, nope. And he said, is there any more? Oh, yeah, I got a boy out there taking care of sheep. You, I mean, certainly not, not him, call him. He comes and the Lord says to Samuel, that's the one right there. 15 year old boy is what they've conjectured looking through all that, about 15 years old at that time. He gets anointed at about 15 years old to be the king. Anointed for the office of king. And the time between that anointing that Samuel had, anointed him for king, and his inauguration as king, a conservative estimate is it took 15 years before he stepped up, before he was actually put in the place. You know he ended up marrying Saul's daughter and was essentially hunted like a dog 
for years and years and years. The, almost the entire book of Psalms is written because of those struggles he went through. So here we find he was anointed, then he waited 15 years of the worst things that could have happened to somebody in life, and he was literally running for his life. And you would think to yourself, what's going on? Maybe Samuel was wrong. <laughs> Maybe I'm not supposed to be the king. I can't even go to church. I'm being chased out here and I'm hiding in a cave with 300 other guys. This is insane. But he didn't turn his back. He was convinced. Well, that's what God said to me. So now the processes are God's purposes. And David had to learn that through flesh and blood. He had to walk that way. It worked in David a dependency on God. Look through all the Psalms. Lord, here it is. It's all a mess. People are against me, even my own friends. My family's against me. It seems like you're nowhere to be found, and I can't even get to the temple. I can't even worship. And then at the end of it, he goes, but God, almost every single time, but God. And then he comes out with a note of faith and goes forward. So this, this process this all things working together for good was happening to David and it worked a dependency on him. It taught David how to pray for real. Not just say his prayers, but really to get down to what he needed to talk with God about and to lean on God and trust in God. It taught him prayer and it taught him faith. And this process was important even on a grander scale than David ever would have imagined because you and I are blessed now with the book of Psalms. If David didn't have those 15 years of turmoil, you and I wouldn't be able to be comforted by reading the book of Psalms, or at least a huge chunk of it would be missing. David, there's no way David would have known that. There's no way that you and I know God's dealings with us, what kind of a reach it's gonna have long after we're dead. I have no idea and you don't either. That's why God's so concerned with the process because there's things going on in the mind of God and in the heart of God that are well beyond our understanding. And so we have a part of scripture. We find in the book of Psalms too, because of David going through this process, what proper human emotion looks like. Sanctified, proper human emotion. Sometimes we think when we're Christians, we can't feel certain ways about certain things. Then you look through the book of Psalms and that'll just teach you everything you need to know. Teach you how to pray for sure. It tells us what worthy expressions of praise look like, what grief of the human heart looks like, what thanksgiving to God looks like, what trust looks like, what it looks like to be confused and walk with God, what it looks like to have to be patient and suffer long. Thank God for the process there in David. Thank God for it. We think of another one, Joseph. He was second to Pharaoh. You remember Joseph had a dream and told his brothers, I'm going to be in charge of you guys, and you're all going to be submitted underneath me. Now, I don't know if it was smart for him to do that, but he did it anyways. He was, there was no pretense with that boy. He was just telling them, hey, I just had a vision. You know what I saw? You guys are going to bow down to me. They're like, you dirty little creep. Get out of here. We're going to take care of you, and they send him out. We know what's going on in your heart. So then they take him, they throw him in a ditch, pretend he dies, and they don't see him for years. We find in Joseph the display of long-suffering. God's processes are his purposes. We find he gets this vision from God, and then the whole thing smashed to pieces. You and I, sometimes, we feel like God gives us a vision. He shows us of something that maybe he wants us to do, something that he's going to do through us. 
After we see that vision, we're so elated and we think, praise God, this is wonderful. You feel all charged up. And then you start taking steps and it goes, everything gets knocked down, smashed to the ground, broken pieces everywhere. And then you go through a whole long time of what's going on. You can see that happen over and over and over again throughout the scripture. All I'm saying is you're amongst good company. You may still not understand, but you're amongst good company. We find that in this process that Joseph was going through was the trial of his faith. The questions that come up in Joseph's mind and heart is, who is God? Is God who I thought he was? Because here I am. I went all the way over to these people I don't even know. I got to dress like them, got to cut my hair and shave my face and do things just like they do. I'm a slave inside of their house. And I think he was a teenager when it happened. Here he's a slave inside of their house. Then he gets accused of adultery with uh, the guy second to Pharaoh, Potiphar's wife. He gets accused of committing adultery with her. It never happened. The trial of his faith comes in. Who's God? Where is he now? Can you trust him? Does he really love you? Is he going to get you out of this mess? Maybe that vision you had back there isn't anything. Maybe you just are hallucinating. Maybe you just have delusions of grandeur. Something's wrong with you. All that, can you imagine what's going on inside this guy's heart and his mind? He's being literally tortured. Will that vision ever be fulfilled? And then he spends unlawful prison time. Unlawful prison time. My, my uh, wife and I, uh, she had, I can't remember how she came upon it, but there's a man, I think right now, he's in prison. He was accused as a policeman. He was accused for 13 people that he had done, that he had raped them, these 13 ladies. There is literally no solid evidence that it happened. And he was sentenced to 263 years in prison. And he bawls as the sentence comes out. And he says, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And literally, when you look at all the evidence, there's nothing there. There's so many holes in what's going on. And yet, just because some people stand up and said, he did this, he did this and did this, and shed tears, the guy's stuck in prison now. Yes. 